ladies and gentlemen, and welcome back to another episode of the Hedging Screens podcast. As always, I'm your host, Zach Cronin, and I'm just so thrilled that you would choose to spend some time here with me today. I hope everybody is doing well. I hope y'all are staying safe. I hope all of my Texas homies are staying safe as well, staying warm. I think it's actually unfucking real, the weather that y'all are having down there. It's just, uh, it's incomprehensible almost. Like, I'm looking at, I was looking at the forecast today for Austin, and that shit is single digits, bro. That is upstate New York type weather on top of y'all getting a couple of inches snow, a couple, a couple inches of snow dumped onto you guys like it's it's just it's just so crazy to me and i i remember i was talking to my girlfriend a couple weeks ago we were thinking about potentially moving to texas at some point in the near future just because texas is kind of lit and new york is kind of expensive i we didn't have anywhere in particular in texas you know looking at all of the major cities dallas houston of course being close to a basketball team would be ideal but you know with streaming and the internet and all that it, you really don't it it's not essential for me because you can just pull up whatever game you want whenever you want but I guess being able to you know hop in the car and drive the drive to the Toyota Center or drive to the American Airlines Arena at least I think that's where Dallas plays like it'd be kind of cool especially you know having kids at one point just being able to go out and do something and experience a basketball game more so experience Luka Doncic or somebody like that but either way that's kind of cool but Austin seems kind of like the cool spot to be at like everyone is leaving places like New York and California I mean Joe Rogan most notably and a couple of his friends moving down to Austin it just seems like it's kind of the wave and you know Austin being a blue city in a red state makes sense for it because I am a liberal cuck, I guess. And more so than that, Austin just seems kind of cool because the eccentricity, the eccentricity of it, I guess, the artistry, all of like the music and the film and all that, that's kind of cool. Like it really gives, it really has a, like a Brooklyn type vibe or maybe like a Venice type vibe, vibe. And another thing that's cool about Texas is there's no income tax. No state income tax. So you got everybody moving from California and New York State where the taxes are, I think, like, I know California's income tax is the highest in the country. New York, not so much, but I think they're second or maybe third. But, you know, whenever you get to save a little bit of money, that's cool. And I know in New York in particular, in particular, the real estate is fucking stupid expensive. And especially here on Long Island, and it's really expensive, mainly, or it's really, the price for the plots of land are comparable to other, you know, high value areas, like just looking at some of the real estate in Austin and in Houston and in Dallas, it's all comparable. But at least when you're in Texas, and you're in one of those spots, you get more land, like that's the thing, the plots here especially where I'm at in Nassau County, they're fucking small, dude. Like, it is suburbia to the max. You get, like, a fucking 20 by 20 yard plot, and you gotta pay 500 grand for that shit. Like, it's unreal. It gets a little bit more spacious the farther out east you go. Like, I know that just having these discussions with my significant other, like, I don't think living in New York is... I mean, it's definitely an option. But living where we grew up, I really don't know if that's an option because you kind of just want to spread out. And in Suffolk County, places out east, they have the ability to do that. But if you could also get that and save a couple thousand, a couple tens of thousand dollars a year on taxes, why not move down to Florida or move down to Texas? I, I don't know if it's ever going to come through to fruition, but... It's definitely something to consider. Of course, the one thing is you always got to remember that if you're to move out of state, at least this applies to my family, but if you're to move out of state, you're leaving everybody behind. You're leaving all your family behind. You're leaving all your friends behind. That's kind of, that's a big thing for me. 
I guess, like being close to the people that I'm close with. And I know that if I were to move away, I don't think that, I don't even want to say it would impact my parents that much because they have two other kids. I got two sisters that, you know, would probably still live here. And, you know, there's that weird double standard when it comes to having boys and girls. And if any of you guys have children, you know that you treat the girls a little differently than you do the boys. Like the boys have always had more freedom and the girls are kind of treated more conservatively, I guess. And I guess it's this weird like gender. It's more of like a gender standard where you can let the boys run out and do whatever because, you know, they, they can fend for themselves and that type of shit like that. But. I'm getting a little, I'm getting a little off track here. I just really hope that everyone is staying sane down there. Cause this is some, that's some trying shit that you guys got to deal with. I hate when I log on to twitter.com and I see this dick measuring contest between people that live in the Northeast, like I do and people that live down South. And it's like, Oh, you guys got three and a half inches of snow. That's nothing. I was at work in the most recent blizzard and it's like yeah dude that's cool we get it your dick and balls are fucking huge but it's we're used to it it's just it's different up here like they're not used to that shit down there and when they get three and a half inches of snow it might as well be the end of the world because we're simply not fucking prepared for that shit i mean look at when hurricanes come up the coast and hit long island and downstate new york like even though we know that we are in a hurricane zone. The response is fucking never as urgent as it should be. And it's never as quick as it should be to get all these power lines back up and to, you know, just give people the resources that they need. It's just we're not used to them coming all the time. If you live in Florida, like, you know that you're going to get hit with 37 fucking hurricanes in August and then 46 more in September. And you can plan for that. Like, us in New York and in Massachusetts and Connecticut and Rhode Island, New Jersey, Pennsylvania, all that shit, we have the resources to deal with these massive blizzards. Like, the plows, When if there is even the fucking hint of a snowstorm coming through, I don't care if it is a dusting or if it is three goddamn feet. The people who work for their respective towns, they're up at like 3 a.m., and they're in the plows and they're getting ready and they're just trying to keep everything. They're just trying to keep everything moving along. And we know how to handle snowstorms and shit because we get them a couple of times a year. It's just what happens when you live in a fucking super chilly area. The same thing goes for the people who live further up north. Those in you know Wisconsin and Minnesota, they're just used to it. Them folks down south are not used to it. So I'm not surprised that they get a couple inches of snow and shit kind of grinds to a halt because it even grinds to a halt up here. Yeah, it's only for a day or so, but still, when shit slows down for a day, that's not really ideal, but it's really just the product of them not dealing with it because they get like fucking three inches of snow every 175 years. Like, I'm not surprised that they're freaking the fuck out because they moved down to Texas for the warmth for the sun, for the fucking humidity, and then, boom, they get some fucking snow dropped on them. It's not fun. Having lived through many a snowstorm in my young life, I don't care where you're from. Snowstorms are never fun. It's fucking annoying. You can't go about your day. You gotta shovel your fucking car out, and then the plow comes. This is the worst part about the fucking snowfall, is that if you fuck up and don't pull your car into the driveway, you're gonna shovel your car out of the snow and then bam a plow is going to come through and just box it right back in that is probably the most frustrating part of the snowstorm and i'm sure that the folks down in austin the homies out in houston are dealing with it tenfold right now but at any rate i hope y'all are staying i hope y'all are staying warm i just i hope that you guys are just you know getting through it Sticking it out because at some point it will melt. And if temperatures go back to what they normally are in Texas, that'll be kind of quick. Also, a little bit of rain doesn't hurt too. But with all that said, with my spiel out of the way, we got to talk about some basketball today, folks. There is a lot going on. Anthony Davis is hurt. The Celtics are fucking mid. The Heat are back on track. Andre Drummond is about to get traded. 
or hopefully is about to get traded. Blake Griffin is about to get traded. The Nets are cooking. The Knicks are cooking. Julius Randle is yet again proving that he is all-star caliber. I think he had like 40, he had 44, 7, and 5 or something like that. Some crazy stat line on Monday night against whomever the fuck they played. And I've been saying it, said it two weeks ago on this very show. Julius Randle deserves to be an all-star. Not a starter. He's probably not going to start, but he at least deserves to partake in the game that is proving to be very controversial. Another thing that popped off last night, or Monday night, I should say, Draymond Green. When this man takes the podium and starts speaking some real shit, he does not miss. He was he went off on the league about the double standard that is how players deal with wanting to be traded and how teams deal with wanting players to be traded. Um, I'm going to try to find a way to splice it into the audio of this episode, but if not, I'll leave a link down in the description because this shit was amazing. It was astounding. Draymond Green is so poignant in his takes. He's so well-spoken. He's so just... He's so intelligent. And I'm not saying that I think he's dumb. I'm sure he's a very smart guy. I'm sure a lot of NBA players are very smart guys. But, you know, when I look at someone, when I'm trying to identify how smart someone is, one, one of course, is then being able to identify a problem. And it's not that this wasn't a problem, the double standard, that how basically Green was, his gripe was that players, when they say, that they want to be traded and they want out of a particular situation, they're demonized and treated as if they're the Antichrist. But meanwhile, an organization, because the Cavs are trying to find a suitor for Andre Drummond, and they're like, oh, we're not going to play him until we're able to trade him. That's what Green takes issue with, is how they can say that and basically get away with it. And there's no consequence. And really, the player can't even speak his piece because as Draymond said his career is quote-unquote on the line and I 100% agree with that I had really never thought of it that way I always knew that you know the organizations have this double standard but when you take a specific instance I just thought it was very very um I want to say it was brave because I'm sure Draymond is going to have some type of fine or there's going to be some type of punishment for speaking against the league but I mean it really was something that had to be said because it is crazy how someone like James Harden for example and we're going to use him just because he's the most recent this is he's the most recent uh, I guess example of this how he said he wants out of Houston I know he didn't go about it the best way and that's kind of besides the point he could have carried himself a little bit better but then again you kind of have to understand that If a player is frustrated, they're going to appear frustrated. And for someone like James Harden, who was kind of fed up with what was going on in Houston, he was clearly frustrated. And it showed. And, you know, coulda, shoulda, woulda. Hindsight's always 20-20. Maybe he shouldn't have gone public with it. But that doesn't really matter. Because just me saying maybe he shouldn't have gone public with it proves that the organizations are treated differently. Because no one ever, I don't want to say no one, but... It's more often said that a player shouldn't go publicly with his trade request. But when teams are trying to trade a player, they're always public with it. You know when a guy is trying to get traded. Because just how the way the NBA works, the organization wants to control the narrative. If a player says that he wants to be traded, it could reflect poorly on the team. Because it'll give the illusion, or I don't want to say it'll give the illusion... But it might shed a negative light on the team that maybe they're not treating this guy right, that the team is ass. Actually, because a lot of the time, players want to get traded to better situations because the franchise that they're on has failed to maximize their talent, has failed to make a competitive roster. There are a whole bunch of issues, but the team does not want that negative PR because franchises as a whole are slandered probably more intensely than players are. Because, again, it's them being an organization and the organization not having feelings, but the individuals in that organization 
having feelings. When you're shitting on a player for wanting a trade request, it's different because you're talking to a human being. When you're saying that the Cavs are a garbage organization, you're kind of speaking to how it's collectively ran. Maybe I'm off base with that, but that's really just my assumption of it. And I, I got the notification this morning. I was actually cooking breakfast, or this morning, yeah, Tuesday morning. I got the notification Tuesday morning. I was whipping up some scrambled eggs in the kitchen, and I saw that Draymond Green basically just shot all over the league. And I'm curious to see what comes of it because it's also interesting that players aren't or teams aren't allowed to rest players for load management purposes, but they're allowed to rest players when they're trying to facilitate a trade to preserve that to preserve that player's trade value. That's also another issue with it. I don't think Draymond spoke on that specifically in his little rant, but it's definitely a part of everything that he spoke about. So again, if you could manage to find this video, I mean it's probably not that hard to find. Just go to fucking Twitter and type in Draymond Green and you'll just get a laundry list of the clips of him during his post-game interview. But I wonder if him speaking on it will change anything. If I had to guess, probably not, just because I know how corporations work. And at the end of the day, the NBA is a corporation. They appear to be very progressive in some aspects, but other areas, not so much. So I, I really want to see how Adam, Adam Silver tries to handle this. And I know that Adam Silver always listens to, well, I don't want to say always, but most of the time listens to his players because it is a player-driven league and the players do have all the power, which I feel is how it should go. The ownership groups and the commissioners, they should definitely be receptive to what their players are talking about because if there are no players, there are no fans, there's no revenue, there's no NBA without the players, more or less. Actually, not even more or less. There is no NBA, there's no sports league without the players. So they at least have to give their players the benefit of the doubt and listen to them. And I think Adam Silver and the people in the league office will listen to what Draymond Green says. I'm just very interested to see how they go about it and if anything changes. And this is the same thing that's happening with Blake Griffin out in Detroit. And I don't know, like, the crazy thing about all this is that you really don't know what to believe because the team's PR departments are going to spin it one way. Other sources are going to spin it another way. With the Cavaliers, I know that they're trying to trade Andre Drummond because he wants to get the fuck out of Cleveland. And I'm sure that he's, I don't even, actually, I don't even want to say that he's okay with not playing because I'm sure he wants to be out there and I'm sure he wants to try to help his team win. But the reason that teams do this is because they want to preserve a player's trade value. And I understand it. Still, I think that he should be out there. Yes, there's the risk of injury, but there's the risk of injury every time some, one of these guys takes the court. And Andre Drummond, at least compared to Blake Griffin, has significantly higher trade value. I know he was linked to my Brooklyn Nets a couple weeks ago. I don't know how likely that is because Colby Altman is hell-bent on trading him and not buying him out because Andre Drummond, whether you like him or not, he does have pretty high trade value right now. And he could bring Cleveland a decent return. They might be able to get a young player or two. They might even be able to get a, a mid to late first round pick for Andre Drummond. I mean, this guy is like, he is someone who can contribute to winning basketball. He just hasn't been on a team that is a winner, more or less. Like, I talked about this when we were discussing him potentially going to Brooklyn. This guy rebounds. He's a ferocious rebounder on the offensive and defensive glass. He's fucking huge. This guy is a literal fucking brick shithouse in the paint. Super athletic, super strong, super mobile, is a decent enough defender to not be a liability, at least, which is always good. And he can go out and get you 15, 16, 17 points if need be. On a team where you already have a solid number one and a solid number two, Andre Drummond can slide in there bolster your defense, make your offense run a little bit more efficiently. And next thing you know, you are steamrolling, folks. Blake Griffin, on the other hand, is playing arguably the worst, not even statistically, he's having the worst season of his career. And I haven't watched much of the Pistons this year. 
I don't feel like subjecting myself to that. I don't like feeling nauseous while watching the NBA. But, I mean, this dude is shooting like 35% from the floor, averaging less than 15 points. And it's a continuation of last season. And I wonder, is Blake Griffin on the downturn of his career? As shitty as that is to say, it could be a possibility. It could be that the Pistons are just trash. But Blake Griffin is has shown in the past that he can be a very, very talented player, an all-star type player. I don't think he's at that level anymore. I think he's definitely well beyond that. But just, you know, he's expanded his repertoire on offense. He is a fantastic passer in recent years. He can even step out and shoot the three at times. But with the numbers he's putting up this year, I just, I don't know what his trade value is. I really don't know if there is any at this point. He might be someone who's on the buyout market later this year I don't know if it would be like now or later maybe one of those instances where he just hangs out on the Pistons collects a paycheck and then once the playoff the playoffs rolls around he gets waived or he's waived before the deadline where players are allowed to sign with playoff teams I think that would be ideal but I would love to see Blake Griffin on a contender and just see what his skill set could be because he's 32 years old dealt with a whole bunch of injuries dating back to you know his rookie year he missed his whole rookie year I'm sure many of you guys remember missed his whole rookie year with I think it was it was some lower extremity injury I think it might have been a knee and then he's just dealt with shit on and off for his entire career I mean this poor guy has dealt with every every injury in the book and it sucks because he's so fucking fun to watch Blake Griffin in Lob City was one of the most entertaining players to ever play in the NBA. I will go that far. This man was so just mind-blowingly athletic, and he did something spectacular really almost every time he touched the ball. And then as he progressed, as his athleticism started to fade, you know, the injuries really took a toll, he revamped his game. And I think that's one of the more underappreciated aspects of Blake Griffin's career is how seamlessly and how quickly he changed up his whole flow. This man went from being a high flyer, a high flying power forward who really had no go to moves on offense to being a point center and someone who could score from a variety of spots on the floor. Truly spectacular. And I would love to see him have a chance to duplicate that, but I really, I really don't know if it's possible at this point. Um, shifting gears, talking about another team. That kind of sucks right now. The Boston Celtics. Man, the Boston Celtics are... They are underperforming at a spectacular rate. After losing on Valentine's Day. I think they played on Valentine's Day. They are 13-13. and 13. Actually, let me double-check this because I don't think they played last night. But um, they might have. I'm just gonna... I don't... I've, real, I'm certain they didn't. No. So they played Tuesday night against the Denver Nuggets, another team that started off kind of mid, but they are in a little bit of a groove, couple games over 500. But the Celtics right now, they have they managed to lose back-to-back games to the Washington Wizards and the Detroit Pistons. And they got clapped by double digits against the Pistons, I'm pretty sure. Whoever their most recent opponent was, they got clizzed. Now, what's the issue here? Because on the surface, we got Jason Tatum, Averaged about 25 points a night. You got Jalen Brown, who is at 26 points a night, making a very solid case to be the most improved player. And it stops there because Boston's depth continues to be a problem. It was an issue last year. It's an issue this year. The bench for the Celtics is at. Ooh, pardon me. Just burp. Boston's bench is averaging. About 32 and a half points per game. Good for 27th in the league. They're a little bit better than they were last year. Last year, I think they were at 28 points per game off the bench, which might have been the second or third worst mark in the league. Boston has no depth. And I didn't realize it until this year because last year they were an elite team. They were 48 and 24, 24 games above 500. You know, and Tatum and Brown weren't producing at the level they're producing at now. 
Of course, there are some big factors here. The loss of Gordon Hayward, as much as everybody loves to shit on Gordon Hayward, I'm not saying it's deserved. However, he has not been the same since suffering that catastrophic leg injury, and I'm not surprised by that. You know, when you go through some traumatic shit like that, you're obviously going to take a step back. But even then, Hayward, at maybe 75% of his former self, was still good for about 17.5 points a night. That's gone. And no one's been there to pick up the slack. Another thing that's been gone is Kemba Walker's production. As I just talked about with Blake Griffin playing the worst basketball of his career, Kemba Walker, who is an all-star caliber type player, who in previous years pretty much single-handedly kept the Charlotte Hornets franchise relevant, he is also playing arguably the worst basketball of his career. This man is at 16.3 points per game and shooting 36.3% from the floor. Those are second, the second worst and the worst marks of his career, respectively. I have no idea what's going on with Kemba Walker. This man is just not producing. The one bright side is that his three ball isn't that bad. I think he's at like 35 or 36%, but overall, Kemba Walker is not the player who was good for anywhere from 18 to 22 points last night. And between his drop-off, the slight improvement from Jason Tatum and the crazy improvement from Jalen Brown, they have been unable to make up for the 18 points per game that Gordon Hayward was giving them. Another thing, Marcus Smart has been out for the last couple of weeks with a calf injury. I know that Marcus Smart isn't this fucking super dynamic shooting guard who is going to totally revamp the Celtics offense when he's out there. I get that. But when you're missing a guy who's averaging 13 points per game, can even go off sometimes and get 20, especially if his three ball is falling. Marcus Smart, not the most reliable three-point shooter, but if they're going in, it drastically changes the Celtics offense. That is the only time his production will do that. But when you're missing his 13 points right now, and you're not getting it from Daniel Tice, who is also hurt. You're not getting it from, I'm trying to even think who the fuck's on the roster. You got Grant Williams, Carson Edwards, uh, I think Peyton Pritchard is his name. I think it's I think it's Peyton Pritchard. But when you're not getting any production from anybody else, you're going to struggle. And it's not like the Celtics are these world beaters on offense either. I think for the season, they're... Offensive rating is 111, right around there. Basketball Reference has, I think, 111.8, and NBA.com has somewhere, not that exact number, but somewhere close to it. Their offense is not that good overall. And for them just to really not improve outside of Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown, when you think of it that way, it is not shocking that this team is as bad as they are. For some context here, at 13 and 13, they are two games ahead in the loss column of the New York Knicks, who have won more games than them this year. The Charlotte Hornets have the same amount of wins as the Boston, as the Boston Celtics. The Dallas Mavericks, who are 13 and 15 as well, or who are 13 and 15, are 10th in the West, while Boston is fifth in the East, I guess. It says they're tied for fourth. But, well, they're tied for fourth because of the record. Um, them and the Pacers are both 500, but they have one, they've played two fewer games. So they're fifth in the East. They're a playoff team. And if they go to the playoffs like this, they will get smoked. I think that they'll get smoked even if they're operating at 100% because the offense is just not there. The defense is a different story. In terms of volume, Boston is an elite defense, but because they play so slow, their efficiency is nowhere near that. They're sixth in points per game allowed at 109.3. Their defensive rating of 111.1 is 14th in the league. This team is average. The Boston Celtics, on paper, are an average team. And in the beginning of the season, when they got off to a hot start, 
I think it really masks these problems because I'm just looking at Tatum and Brown's numbers. These guys were killing it. They were slaughtering teams. No one had an answer for Jalen Brown and Jason Tatum. And quite frankly, the best answer to Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown is to let them score however many points they want. Because the two of them will not be able to score enough points to beat any team. We see, we've seen teams employ this strategy a million times. How did teams beat up on LeBron James during his first, his first stint with the Cavaliers? Well, they let LeBron do whatever he wanted, at least as far as scoring is concerned, and they just took away everybody else. And when you don't have weapons that are dynamic enough to make something out of nothing, the team is just the team is going to struggle. And the Celtics do not have that. I know on paper, Kemba Walker is the kind of guy who can get you out of a lot of jams, and I love Kemba Walker's game. I think Kemba Walker is undeniably a legendary New York City basketball player, one of the best talents the state has ever produced, but this year, he is not that. There's something going on. I don't know if it's mental. I don't know if he's got a nagging injury that nobody wants to disclose, but unless Kemba Walker gets better, this team does not stand a chance in the Eastern Conference. And the East, dude, the East is way more competitive than I ever thought it was going to be this year. We got the Sixers, who are fucking amazing right now. You got the Bucks. You got the Brook. You got my Brooklyn Nets, who are playing much better basketball. I mean, those three teams are the three best teams in the East. But, and I've seen this from watching my Nets play basketball almost every night. They're not, I don't want to say they're not so much better because they are, but when you have teams that are, that are this good, they are liable to get beat by worse teams. I watched the fucking Cleveland Cavaliers beat the Nets twice. The Nets play worse against worse teams. It's obvious. They played Golden State a couple nights ago and fucking smashed them. They played fantastic against the Warriors but then they'll play a team like Orlando and get shit on. And then they'll play Cleveland and get shit on. And then they'll play Washington and get shit on. That's my fear with the teams at the top of the East. But they all have weaknesses, right? Teams, Philly, Milwaukee, Brooklyn, they all have weaknesses. But the middle of the Eastern Conference is where it gets real interesting because the Pacers, not that great. Boston, as we talked about, an average team. The Knicks, the New York Knicks. I'm just going to say it. They're proving that they can compete with almost anybody. I did not expect them to make the playoffs this year. I did not expect them to look this good. But Julius Randle might be a star. Julius Randle might be a star player in the NBA. And he's carrying this team. We also have the Charlotte Hornets, who I did not expect to be 13 and 15. Toronto is much better than they're playing. Chicago is decent, only four games under 500. Miami. 11 and 16 because they've just they haven't been healthy all year and I I'm pretty sure now that Jimmy's back they're playing a lot better which obviously uh actually just kidding they're 4 and 4 in their last 8 games. But you know Jimmy coming back drastically changes what this team can do. Uh I just wonder if it's like a case of too little too late. Uh we'll have to see because this shortened season you really don't have a lot of time to you really don't have a lot of time to really get anything together. Although a lot of these teams still have like 45, 50 games left to play. Um, we'll have to see. But the Eastern Conference overall is way more competitive than I thought it was going to be. This is pr- probably overall the most competitive the NBA has been in a while. Because even like the Western Conference, I'm looking at the standings, Utah, the Clippers, the Lakers, they're all within a couple games of each other. Phoenix is still only single digit losses which is amazing. The middle of the West, you got Portland, the Spurs, Denver, Golden State. Memphis is underperforming. The Mavericks are underperforming. I mean, you got a lot of talent in the league right now, and it's showing. And just going to, again, I got off on a tangent, just going to bring this back to the Celtics. They need to do something. They need to bring somebody in, another guy, an Al Horford, a Gordon Hayward. I don't know if they'd maybe make a run for Blake Griffin. His value is low. 
and it's a high reward for low risk because I don't think the Pistons, the Pistons at this point are just going to take anything to get him off the team because I don't know if he wants, I don't think he wants to be there. I'm pretty sure they said it was like a mutual thing that um, Griffin's going to sit until there is some sort of resolution worked out between the two parties, but I don't know. We got to see, but the Celtics, they need to do something to figure this shit out because it's going to get ugly quick. Like if this were the Eastern Conference of previous years, I think they'd be okay, but the it the teams are too good. There are more good teams in the East than there are bad teams. I'd go out to say. So they might get it might be a tough couple of months for them. But we we gotta see, man. I just I I don't know. I don't know. I'm I'm getting kind of nervous for them. I mean not really nervous because I really don't care about the Celtics like that, but like you never know. Any anything can happen, and listen, I'm I'm here for it. I guess. Um, let's see what else. What else was it that I wanted to talk about? Um. Oh, quite possibly, the biggest news recently was Anthony Davis being out for the next couple of weeks. I don't know how long it is exactly. Let me just go to Twitter, find out what's going on. I think. Woj said it was two to three weeks with um some sort of calf strain, I think. I'm sorry, I just got distracted looking at the internet. Uh, hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on. Where are we at? Anthony Davis. Okay, no, you don't want to... Uh... Yes, discard that. Okay. What are we doing here? Anthony Davis injury. Oh, fucking perfect. You see how easy it is? Okay. Um... So, where are we? I'm on NBA.com, Lakers, press release. Awesome. Awesome. Nothing. I love it. Okay. So, now we got to go to a reporter. This is awesome. Valuable time. Valuable time that I'm wasting here. All right. All right. Let's go. Come on. Where are we? This is so fucking annoying. Okay, finally, Anthony Davis to be reevaluated in two to three weeks. Sources tell ESPN's Adrian Wojnarowski. Of course, the question that everybody is asking, how does this impact the Lakers? I'll tell you right now, it's serious, but also not too serious. And this is why depth is so important. So you have Anthony Davis, who has not been playing that great this year. Well, great, not that great relative to the last couple of years before this. So he's at 22.5 points, which is his lowest since his rookie year. He's averaging just 8 rebounds, 8.4 rebounds, which is 1.8 blocks. I don't know if you'll be able to guess what I'm going to say, but yes, it is the lowest since his rookie year. Anthony Davis? struggling a little bit and I think you know it's probably because these injuries have been on and off with him I do think that while he's out the Lakers are going to be fine because the Lakers have a deep team I just got done talking about this in regards to the Boston Celtics depth matters championship teams need depth and having LeBron James helps as well so when you look at the Lakers offensively they're decent. They're going to chug along just fine because, again, LeBron's there and he's going to do whatever he's got to do to keep his team afloat. He's got guys like Dennis Schroeder. As we've seen in the past, Dennis Schroeder is somebody who can be reliable, who could be relied upon for 20, 22 points a night. He's at 14 right now. He's not getting a lot of shots. Um, his efficiency is down a little bit, but when the ball, in, when the ball is in his hands, he can go out and he can create. There's also KCP, who has been shooting the fucking lights out this year. Shout out to KCP. There is Wesley Matthews, who's knocking down threes. Alex Caruso, who's knocking down threes. I think the Lakers overall have a team solid enough to remain elite while Anthony Davis is out. And I was doing a little bit of research last night. I went ahead. I pulled up some stats. So... 
these are the Lakers stats when LeBron is on the court and AD is on the court. So this is per 100 possessions. Their offensive rating is 115.3, which is a couple points higher than their offensive rating as a whole. Their defensive rating is 100.6. Just stifling. When these two are, are on the court together, although Davis is not playing that well, at least relative to his previous seasons, the Lakers are probably the best team in the league when these guys are on the court together. A net rating of 14.6 is just phenomenal. Now, this is what happens when AD is off the court, but LeBron is on. The offensive rating drops to 109.6. Not great. That's Boston Celtics level. That's a fucking terrible, terrible offense. However, their defense is still elite, if you could believe that. With a defensive rating of 103.6, the Lakers, with LeBron on and AD off, are better than they are overall, which is crazy. With that said, LeBron might have to play more minutes than he's been playing this year. I would not be surprised to see him up in the 36, 37, 38 minutes per night. That is, I think, feasible because... Again, you don't have the luxury of not having LeBron on the court. AD's got to stay on there. Or, no, hold on. I'm getting, uh, my brain is turning into mush a little bit. I'm looking at all these fucking numbers. With AD out, you don't have the luxury of sitting LeBron. As fucked up as that is to say, that's how it's got to go. Now, remember, I was looking at LeBron's individual numbers last night. As well. I'm just waiting for the page to load. So this is again per 100 possessions. Wait, what? Oh, here we go. Okay. LeBron? His numbers don't really change that much when LeBron is on. I mean, when AD is on and AD is off. The biggest thing is that the shooting percentages drop a little bit. So with AD on the court. LeBron is at 51% shooting. With AD off, it drops down to 48.2. His scoring, as you would expect, goes up. Assists go up. Rebounds about stay the same. Like this is it's just gonna be typical, a typical performance from LeBron. The issue though is this. And I'm gonna switch gears one more time. And then we'll probably go ahead and wrap this up. Now What's going to happen when LeBron is off the court and AD is off the court? Because there are going to be times when that happens. This is fucking mind-blowing. Although there hasn't been much time where these guys are both off the court at the same time. In those instances, the Lakers' defensive rating drops again to 93.8. This defense, I've never realized how elite the Lakers defense is just from top to bottom I mean they have a bunch of guys who are incredible defenders even with Anthony Davis off the court who is arguably the best defensive big in the league the issue of course is that the offense when LeBron on the when LeBron is not on the court basically slows to that of a junior varsity high school basketball team with just 92 points per 100 possessions the Lakers offense with LeBron and AD off the court is pretty much non-existent so you kind of have to hope and pray that when ad is on the sideline healing his injury and lebron is off to get rest you have to really just sit down and pray that shit does not hit the fan because if the lakers defense gives up a slight run that could be the difference in the game if the lakers take lebron out for two or three minutes and they're playing the Spurs, or they're playing the Mavericks, or I don't want to say the Spurs, but if they're playing the Mavericks, or if they're playing the Suns, or if they're playing the Trailblazers, a team that has a lot of offensive firepower, and they let up, you know, an 11 nothing, an 11-1 run, or an 11-2 run, that very well could be the difference in the game. Because even when LeBron gets back on the court, it's going to be a struggle, because what are teams going to do? 
teams are going to do what they've always done against LeBron James when he's the only star on the court. They're just going to lock him down and let everybody else do whatever, especially now that the number two guy is Dennis Schroeder. Schroeder? Schroeder? I think it's Schroeder. I'm sorry. Dennis Schroeder and not Anthony Davis. And that, you know, the Lakers could get into the weeds a little bit. And I'm just going to peep their schedule for this upcoming stretch. Oh, wait, hold on. So, they have only like eight games left for the season, apparently. Now, I don't know if that... Uh, see, this is where it gets weird because I don't know how the NBA is going to go about redoing all these postponed games. But anyway, so in the coming days, Lakers are going to go up against the Brooklyn Nets, the Heat, the Jazz, the Blazers, the Warriors, the Suns, and the Kings. And the Wizards and the Timberwolves, but I'm not too concerned about the Wizards or the Timberwolves. That's a tough stretch. You know, the Kings, at the end, decent team, only three games below 500. It could get a little wonky. And, I mean, you know, you want to not count out LeBron, but at this point, like, who, who really knows? Like, who knows? I, I just hope that, well, I don't, I mean, I don't want to say I hope. I'm kind of indifferent as to what the Lakers do. I'm more so focused on my Nets, who over the last couple of weeks have dealt with a lot of bullshit. Uh, I spoke about it last week, the whole garbage going on with the NBA where they allowed KD to play and then we're like, oh no, you can't do that. Get off the court. It's like, all right, cool. I'll just go fuck myself, I guess. Now, unfortunately, Kevin Durant is out. He did not play against the Kings on Monday night, and I think he's going to miss their upcoming game whenever the fuck that is. I don't have the schedule in front of me. And it sucks, because when Kevin Durant is not on the court, this Brooklyn Nets team is noticeably worse on both ends of the floor. It's just, it's so weird. And I know, I know that the numbers, the numbers look great, regardless KD is, regardless of whether KD's on the floor or not, at least the offensive numbers. But, oh God, when this man does not play, Oh, pardon me. Forgot to breathe. Goddamn. When this man, Kevin Durant, is not on the basketball court, the defense, trash. And the defense is not that great with him on the floor to begin with, but it's just so apparent that his impact is... Like, let's rephrase that. His impact is so apparent, especially on defense. I'd say, I'd argue more so on defense because... Offensively, look, you got James Harden, you got Kyrie Irving, you're chilling. Let's be honest. You're good enough already on offense. They put up 137 on the Kings last night with relative ease. I mean, that's just the type of firepower this team has. They can drop however many points they want on whomever, and it really doesn't matter. Unfortunately, defense is what's going to win them basketball games. And giving up 125 points to the Kings giving up 148 points to the Wizards a couple weeks ago. Just not being able to lock down on that end is so fucking frustrating. However, what's not that frustrating is watching James Harden play basketball because this man is built different, right? The reports came out yesterday that Kyrie basically sat down with Mr. Harden and was like, you're going to be the point guard, and I'm going to play shooting guard. Ed Harden's like, okay, yeah, cool, let's get it. And then he just proceeds to dish out 12 assists every night. I mean, this guy is averaging exactly that many, 12 assists since coming over to the Nets. He's averaging 23 points. He's shooting spectacularly well, having the most efficient season of his career. I believe, well, I think overall, yeah, it's got to be. His effective field goal percentage is... 56.7. So, a little bit less than the best mark of his career. But, you know, I totally agree with the idea that, you know, Kyrie felt that James Harden should play the point guard because I think everybody knows Kyrie is a scoring guard. He is just a little bit too short to be a, to be a traditional shooting guard. He's not... 
I don't want to say he's not a good passer because he certainly is. But when he gets the ball, you know, he's that new breed of point guard where they get the ball and they want to put it in the basket. He's cut from the same cloth as Damian Lillard, as Steph Curry, like the guys who are more likely to drop 30 than they are to dish out 10 assists. James Harden is the exact opposite. <laughs> I don't know if you guys have noticed, but James Harden has that sixth sense where he just knows where the ball needs to go and when it needs to go there. I have seen this man make so many incredible passes that only guys like LeBron James or Chris Paul could have made. I mean, Harden as a point guard is that electrifying. He is that good. And I overall, it just makes the team a lot better. And his turnovers are relatively low. I'm just checking the percentages here. With an assist rate of 44.4 and a turnover rate of 19.1, I mean, this dude is pretty fucking good right now. I mean, he definitely adds a lot of flavor to the Nets offense, especially because like he could still go out and get 30 if he wanted to. Like Those games where KD's out and Kyrie's out, you're not really worried. You know the team's going to have a chance because James Harden is still James Harden. He's leading the league in assists. And on those kinds of nights, you know, he might only have eight assists instead of 12, but he'll go out and he'll get 32, 33. And it really has just been a treat. And I, I will eat crow on this one. I was not expecting James Harden's transition to be this seamless. I do, however, want to cover my tracks and say that I was optimistic about the fact that he would take a little bit of a backseat and just hearing you know some of his comments recently where he kind of got bored of having I don't know if he got I don't know if bored is the right word but you know having to go out and get 40 with the Rockets just to make sure that you know the team was competitive it clearly took a toll on him and I think that he really wanted the chance to kind of just sit back and pass and not have to worry about putting up these outrageous scoring numbers and obviously Brooklyn allowed him to do that because they got KD and they got and they got Kyrie guys who could put up 70 points between the two of them you know if Harden just puts up 20 hands out 9 10 11 assists the offenses they're chilling they're humming along quite fine and you know ultimately you have to see how this plays out in the postseason because although yes their offense is electrifying and they can put up untold amounts of points on whoever in the playoffs when the game slows down and you really have the d up that's where the better teams really separate themselves and i don't know if brooklyn has the talent to be able to do that at this stage but we'll see and i think i think that covers everything we talked about a lot today i'm definitely out of breath my brain is hurting my eyes are hurting I want to go take a nap because I slept so poorly last night, but I got to go to the gym. I got to power through it. As always, thank you guys so, so, so much for listening. If this is your first time, welcome. If you're a returning listener, welcome back. As always, any way that you can support the show is appreciated, whether you're streaming it, whether you're following my social media accounts, whether you're leaving a rating or a review on iTunes, following it on Spotify, whatever you do to support. I'm super grateful for, and with that, thank you guys, and I will catch y'all in the next one.